And even though they've been wrong in the past, even though they've changed their statement for some of these serums and for some of these vaccines, the Jehovah's Witnesses are fine with that because they'll use Proverbs 4.18. But the path of justice is the shining light, the shining more and more into the perfect day. Yeah, we've made some mistakes. We've been in the dark, but we're getting new light every day. We're getting brighter and brighter. And it, it really is sad. And not to quote the book 1984, George Orwell, but he said the past was erased. The erasure was forgotten. The lie became truth. <laughs> That's, I mean, it fits the Jehovah's Witnesses. Thank you for tuning in to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm MCG. And we're attempting to remove barriers so we can all have a clear view of the cross. This is episode 61 of the Removing Barriers podcast. And this is the first in the series of What Do You Believe? And in this episode, we will be looking at what Jehovah Witnesses believe. Joining us in this episode is Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary grew up in a nominal Jehovah Witness home and study their belief in depth after his salvation. You can listen to Pastor Gary's testimony in episode 60. Pastor Gary, welcome back to the Removing Barriers podcast, and thank you once again for joining us. Well, thank you for letting me join you, and it's always a blessing to give your testimony. Like you said, I grew up in a nominal Jehovah's Witness home, and then I got saved, I got married, and didn't feel any allegiance to the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witness. Through that, I studied and found out why I wasn't called. Didn't feel any allegiance to the Kingdom Hall or Jehovah's Witnesses. All right, great. Well, let's get into it, Pastor Gary. Okay. Who are the Jehovah's Witnesses and where are they in the world? Let's give us a brief overview of who are the Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, their attendance fluctuates especially when they make a prophecy and it doesn't come true. Of course, their prophecy in 1975 would be the end of the world as we know it. Well, when that didn't happen, their attendance and their membership dropped. But for now, it's bounced back, and probably most Jehovah's Witnesses today don't know about 1975 and the end times. But right now, it's probably 8 million or more around the world. Africa seems to have the most, and I'm not sure why. There's probably over a million in America, and they came from, really, Charles Taser also. It's a man-made religion, and he studied, and he was under the Millwrights. We know now as the Seventh-day Adventist. And from that, he got really interested in prophecy, end times, setting dates, and from that came that they were called students of the Watchtower Society, and from that, they become the Jehovah's Witnesses that we know today. The history of the Jehovah's Witness, that intrigues me because I am always fascinated with how can a man deceive so many into following him? Was this man a sort of charismatic sort of guy that just kind of galvanized people behind him? Or was he just so eloquent in his speech and perhaps in his mannerisms or his studies, and he perhaps charmed people into following him? It's probably all the above. He was very charming. He was just a down-to-earth person that quit his business and had a lot of information. And people were impressed about the information that he was giving out. Go back to, if you remember Y2K, we were going from 1999 to 2000, change of the century. Mm-hmm. But go back 100 years before that, it was the late 1800s, going into the 1900s. And prophecy was a big thing. 
both in the year 2000 and in the year 1900 and prior. So it was an interest in the things of prophecy, and they seemed to have the answers that really made sense looking at it from the earth. Of course, the early 1900s, you know, you had the Dust Bowl, you had World War One, you had the stock market crash and all those things. And he come along with the answers that the end is near, and a lot of people bought into it. And then as the leaders come on, some leaders were more charismatic, and it was really, really, like I said, they were very convincing. And once again, it's delusion and deceit. The Bible tells us that in the end times, the devils are going to use deceit, going to have us believe right is wrong, wrong is right. And they were deceived. It was a deception, and it was a very well-orchestrated deception. Pastor, can you go into that a little deeper? What are the points of deception that would characterize the core beliefs of the Jehovah's Witness faith? You know how, like, for example, Bible-believing Christians have, like, the core non-negotiables of the faith? Can you give us a rundown or a summary of the core tenets or the core beliefs of the Jehovah Witness faith? Well, they are a man-made religion. Mm -hmm. And so really, anything you could think of is the core beliefs, let's say, of a Christian. You know, the virgin birth the resurrection, the death, and the burial, and resurrection, uh, coming again. They believe all those, but they believe them wrongly. <laughs> you know, they don't believe it fully. For example, they believe that Jesus Christ was virgin-born, but they don't believe that he is God with us. They believe that he died, not on a cross, but on a stake, and that he rose again, but not bodily. And it's just really... If you were to think of what can we agree on, probably Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. <laughs> we probably couldn't agree on that because if you don't use the name Jehovah, that is like a slap in the face of God. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's probably about the only viewers and Jehovah's Witnesses could agree on. And even that, the creation, once again, to fit their prophecy and the show fulfillment, they don't believe they were our days. They believe they were a thousand-year periods. And, of course, they use Scripture to back all this up, whether that's what it means or not, but they have an answer for everything. You know, the psalmist, and even Peter said, you know, a day of the Lord says a thousand years. So they take that literally. So they believe that they are the only true religion, and they spend a lot of time ingraining in their people that all the other religions are wrong, all the other churches are wrong, all the other denominations are wrong. They're the only one that's a true religion. So, Pastor, dive a little bit deeper into this, with their core beliefs, and also, what's in a name? Why Jehovah's Witnesses? They feel that they're the only true religion, and they take issue if you say they, you know, that they were influenced by the Millerites or any other religion, but they are. And that they trace their roots back to the apostles and even beyond, really, like all the promises. And when he talks about Israel, they really apply those verses to themselves. For example, in Isaiah, Isaiah is talking about let all nations be gathered together, let the people be assembled, and bring forth their witnesses. And verse 10 says, You are my witnesses, Isaiah 43 10. And they literally take that then. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and we know in the King James Bible, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. 
Well, of course, their Bible says, the New World Translation says Jehovah. So that's where they get their name from. So see, they're saying it's biblical. And they even go so far as in Revelation chapter 11, verse 12, it's talking about the two witnesses. So whenever the word witness is used, they take it literal, like a Jehovah's Witness that you would think of today. But when those two witnesses, you know, were resurrected, and they heard a voice that said, come up hither. They literally take that as that proves that they are the true religion. Wow. How does this compare to what we refer to as true biblical Christianity? So what they believe compared to what, I guess I can put it this way, what the Bible actually teaches. Well, going back to the question your wife asked about Charles Taze Russell, he was a prolific writer, and he wrote the mystery in scriptures. And it's a man, it's many volumes, and it explains the Bible. So where we would believe that God's Word, I believe, believe it all or not at all, they believe the Bible, but you have to have the writings and the teaching and the literature of Jehovah's Witnesses to be able to understand the Bible. If you don't have those writings and you don't study Jehovah's Witnesses, if you study the Bible alone, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, you'll slip back into apostasy and back into the world or to the other religions. So really, they're not true Christianity. They call Christianity Christendom. They really slur it. They really slander it. And they do anything to avoid looking like the churches. I mean, if you've ever been in a kingdom hall or if you know anything about it, they don't have pews. They don't have pulpits. They don't have any kind of art. I remember as a child, we weren't allowed to have like even praying hands in, in the household because it was an idol. You can't salute the flag. You can't do the Pledge of Allegiance. All that is a equated to bowing to an idol. So really, it's not true Christianity at all. So then, according to the Jehovah's Witness, how is someone to be reconciled to God? The reason I ask that question is because we know from the scriptures that God has revealed himself to us in special revelation through the scriptures. We can't know God apart from the scriptures. And if the Jehovah's Witnesses are telling people well, if you read the scriptures apart and no other literature from us, you're going to slip back into apostasy. So according to the Jehovah's Witness, how can someone be reconciled to God? Through the organization, what they do is they'll spend time with training you. And they'll put a time limit on it. If you aren't progressing within so long, they'll drop you. Hmm. Uh, back when guys started, I mean, certain minorities, they just said, don't waste time on them because the end is so close. Now today, last report I heard, that they'll work with you like six months. And if you don't progress along to where they trust you, they will take you out on calls and things like that. And when they're satisfied with your training, then you're baptized. Now, understand that baptism is a really big deal to them. So after they're satisfied with the new convert's training, they'll take them out, you know, they'll vet them, and they'll let them speak, you know, maybe in a service or maybe their door-to-door visitation. And when they have baptism, they have it in, like, big arenas. They have swimming pools full of water to baptize them. And you understand, they believe that Jesus Christ, his death, all it was was buying back what Adam and Eve lost. Adam and Eve sold the title deed to the world 
to the devil. And Jesus' death bought it back. And they may use terms like born again, but it means something different to them. Really what they use is the truth. When they feel you're comfortable with the truth, or, you know, how long have you been in the truth? We would say, how long have you been saved? They would say, how long have you been in the truth? So when they're satisfied with that, they make baptism a big deal. And they'll have small stadiums or whatever full of swimming pools. And they'll ask them two questions. On the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, have you repented of your sins and dedicated yourself to Jehovah and to his will? second question is, do you understand that your dedication and baptism identify you as one of Jehovah's Witnesses in association with God's Spirit-directed organization? So in other words, when they baptize them, they baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit-directed organization. And basically what you want is you're agreeing to being a slave to the organization. And they really use that term. How do they make money? Because you say they don't have typical church, they don't pick up offerings. Am I right in that? How do they support themselves? You know, I'm not really sure. In other words, they don't have pastors. They have overseers. And I'm sure there's some money involved there. They make a lot of money off their printing. They have a lot of printing. And of course, any good Jehovah's Witness buys this printing. And a lot of times they sell it. A lot of people buy it if it means They'll leave them alone. And, you know, they have people who are dedicated to it. So a lot of it comes from their headquarters in New York. Now, the overseer, I'm not sure about salary stuff. They don't call them pastors. They call them overseers. And, you know, that's a question I'm sure of. Interesting. You said that when they're baptizing or someone is entering into the faith of the Jehovah Witnesses, that they ask you, have you repented of your sin? And... Trust Jesus as your Savior of being born again, which is verbiage that sound pretty biblical. Could you expound on that and exactly what they believe when they're saying that? Well, you understand, sin is what they say it is. You know, I hate to bring it up, but the book by George L. Orwell, 1984, and, you know, the thought police and then the classes and everything, they really operate on that. 1948, when George Orwell wrote that book, I mean, they were doing a lot of things, prophecy and things like that. They really were mind control. They had what they call mind crime, thought crimes, face crime. And there are some Jehovah's Witnesses that you know are shunned or disfellowship because they didn't like the look on their face when they were told some sin that they committed. They're very big on work. So in the early days, a lot of vaccines, a lot of organ transplants and things like that was wrong. You didn't do that. Those were sin. Blood transfusion is a sin, and you don't do that. I don't think that will ever go away. I don't think they ever changed their mind on that. Some of the vaccines and things in the early days of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they were opposed to. They kind of softened and changed their mind on celebrating holidays, you know, Christmas and Easter. Those are sins along with all the other sins that adultery, pornography, drugs, and all those. And they want to give you the impression that, you know, those things are not in Jehovah's organization. And they, you know, want to present it as a happy organization. The flesh is the flesh. I don't care if you're Mormon, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, atheist, you know, the flesh is the flesh, you know. So those things are in the organization, and they usually take care of it, but as far as getting rid of them. But once again, sin is what they make it. 
serving in the Terry, saluting the flag, all those things are crimes. They won't tolerate those. Are there any scripture verses that they use to back up these things like not taking vaccine? I guess that's a big thing, you know, with the coronavirus vaccine. But are there any scripture verses they use to defend that, not taking vaccine, blood transfusion, organ donation, or accepting organs? Are there any verses they use or biblical principles falsely so that they may use to defend those faith or those beliefs? Yes. One simple rule about determining a false religion is study their teachings on marriage and on diet, and you'll see that they're biblically, they're awful. Marriage, for example, a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses won't get married because they're waiting for Paradise Earth. So I'm going to put off children because of Paradise Earth. So look at how they treat marriage, and then look how they treat diet. What it is, is it's a dietary law in the Old Testament. They weren't to eat blood. And from that, they get some of these vaccines. They have, you know, hormones or like stem cells and things like that. Right. That would be blood. And so they use a dietary law of the Old Testament not to eat the blood. And they apply that, and they believe that's what it means. And when I talked to my dad, my dad put off surgery because the doctor wouldn't guarantee he wouldn't need blood transfusion. And they talked to him and said, well, use your own blood. He was good with that for a while, and then he backed out from that. But I told him about it. I said, no, I just say not to eat the blood, but it's just not to eat the fat also. So you're going to apply this, you know, and it is so ingrained in you, these rules that they come up with. And I even say myself, the thing with blood transfusion, you know, all my life, I was against it, against it, giving blood. You know, you just, and even years after I got saved, I was in Bible college, and they were announcing a blood drive, you know, give blood. And I thought, you shouldn't do that. A church, you know, I'm just thinking to myself. And then I realized I had never settled that. And I settled it years later because it's so ingrained in you that, you know, this is wrong. And I never settled that. I thought that was so strange. You know, saved years, called into the ministry, going to Bible college. And if you ask them, you know, I've asked Jehovah's Witnesses, so what will happen if you do get a blood transfusion? I mean, they have kidnapped their children out of hospitals and, and all kinds of things like that, you know, allow their children to die because they just will not get a blood transfusion. And they'll say, well, if you get a blood transfusion, you'll lose your salvation. And, of course, they'll use the verses like, you know, what will man give in exchange for his soul, you know? So I ask them, are you saved? And they'll tell you, no, nobody can know you're saved. And that's the thing that gets me about these people who think you can lose your salvation. You ask them, well, are you saved? And they say, no, nobody can know they're saved. Well, but you can lose your salvation, yes. So I'll ask them, well, you know you can lose something you don't know you have. They'll say, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. no. <laughs> I don't understand. It's really circular reasons. And even though they've been wrong in the past, even though they've changed their statement for some of these serums and some of these vaccines, the Jehovah's Witnesses are fine with that because they'll use Proverbs 4.18. But the path of justice is the shining light, to shine more and more into the perfect day. Yeah, we've made some mistakes. We've been in the dark, but we're getting new light every day. We're getting brighter and brighter. And it, it really is sad. And not to quote 
the book 1984, George Orwell, but he said the past was erased, the erasure was forgotten, the lie became truth. <laughs> That's, I mean, it fits the Jehovah's Witnesses, and it's sad. Yeah, this thing goes much deeper than I even imagined it did, because, you know, I didn't realize that they tie blood transfusion and organ donation, receiving organs, to your salvation. They call it cannibalism, taking blood. So, and they know that's, of course, forbidden. And they will use the Old Testament dietary laws. And even in Acts chapter 15, where Peter and Paul and Barnabas had that meeting, and they said to abstain from meat off of the idols and from blood. So they still apply that to those things. But they tie it into salvation. This is the Removing Barriers podcast. We will be right back. Do you have the desire to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints? Answers in Genesis can help. They provide biblically sound books, CDs, DVDs, homeschooling materials, VBS materials, online courses, digital downloads, and the Answers magazine, and more. Plus, tickets to the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter. Go to the Answers Bookstore by clicking the link in the description section below so you too can be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason of the hope that is in you. It seems like just listening to you describe all of their do's and don'ts and thou shalt and thou shalt not, they remind me of Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress at the beginning where he's got this gigantic load on his back that he can't get off. Now, for Pilgrim, it was his own sin. Right. But for them, not only is it their own sin, it's all of these rules and arbitrary regulations that the society puts on them. And it's so miserable, pitiful, just a very sad thing to even imagine or to see. And I've met Jehovah's Witnesses who are absolutely convinced that they are following the truth and that they're the only ones that know the way to be saved. How can we witness to someone who is so deeply deceived as a Jehovah's Witness is? Very carefully. (laughs) I mean, what you have to do is show them the love of Jesus. They know only of Jesus as really Jesus, Jehovah. They think of them as, they think of Jesus as Michael the Archangel. And, of course, Michael is warring and things like that. They think of him like Armageddon is all they talk about. They see Jehovah as only a judgmental God. You know, show them the love of Jesus. The worst thing that we can do is get angry. I've heard of preachers just up in their face, just yelling at them, leaders sticking out of their neck. You know, what you just did is you put a jewel in their crown because they truly operate off of praise, persecution, and paranoia. You can tell I'm a Baptist freak, uh, alliterate. But <laughs> if you praise them for their zeal, they'll take that. What they hear is, well, even the Baptist church praises us for our, our zeal. And if you get up in their face, it's hard not to get angry because they are butchering the Word of God so much and salvation is simplicity that's in it. But if you get up in their face, you, you just put another feather in a cap. See? That's why we're persecuted, because, you know, that shows we're the truth, because we're persecuted. And then they're so paranoid, even if they have questions, understand they can't go back and ask the Jehovah's Witness these questions, because that's one of those face crowns, one of those thought crowns, you know. can't question the organization. 
whether he's right or wrong, whether he got a point. And they're so paranoid they can't go into a Christian bookstore or and you know get tons of answers to their questions. They get answers to their questions, but the Jehovah's Witnesses won't let archives of the old watchtowers be exposed. I mean, they used to believe that Jesus Christ hung on a cross. They don't believe that anymore. And they won't allow the Jehovah's Witnesses to go back into the archives to see those things. They used to use the King James Bible. And of course, now they've got their own printed. And the social media, YouTube, those things are, can be found on that. And not to endorse, but the actress, Leah Remini, I think is how you pronounce her name. I'm not endorsing the actress. I don't know a whole lot about her other shows or movies or whatever. But Leah Remini has turned on the Church of Scientology. And she's done a series of documentaries, Scientology and the Aftermath. And Jehovah's Witnesses kept coming up. So she did a documentary, and it's, I want to say, 2018. You could probably get it streamed. And she spoke to witnesses that were either former witnesses or part of the family, or they had family members that were. And just most of them, most of them committed suicide. It's like what you were saying about the stress and the pressure that they were under. And they were under such extreme pressure trying to keep all the rules and ever-changing rules and the truth that a lot of them committed suicide. Yeah. And they committed suicide because they thought their chances of surviving and living on Paradise Earth were better if they committed suicide than breaking all the rules. And I'm sure you can it and find it. All these things are documented. And so it's kind of interesting, but it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah, dive a little bit deeper personally. What were some of those rules that you had to live under when you were growing up because of your father's Jehovah's Witness faith? Well, of course, we couldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance at school. We were never in any Christmas plays. And one rule was, you know, the members can't smoke. You can't smoke. And they were all right with drinking alcohol. But smoking was a problem. You know, they have more problem with alcohol than to do with smoking. But smoking is a definite no-no. And that was really why my dad was disfellowshipped. And that was about the time I was 13 years old. And that's when I got out of it. Then I'm a teen years. And then I got married. And we wanted to go to church. We just didn't know what church to go to. And we just didn't want to go to the Kingdom Hall. So a lot of rules. Some of them were enforced. But generally, they have non-Jehovah's Witness friends at school. Of course, they're not to, to do the pledge. Uh, they're not to salute the flag in any way. They're not to serve in the military. And it's just rules and rules. And if you read testimonies of people who've come out of it, as they look, they just talk about how gray everything is in the people. And there's no joy. Even though they present it as a happy family unit, but the joy is because it, it truly is a works salvation. Possibly. You have a chance. Maybe. Wow. Yeah, so do you think it is necessary to adjust the errors in their doctrine when you're trying to witness to them? I don't think it's necessary because you have to understand there are no errors. They are so indoctrinated that there are no errors. So really, when you discuss their errors... They put up a wall, and that's more of that persecution and things. So I'm very careful in that, but it doesn't hurt 
to know where they're coming from. Paul said when he preached on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, he said, even as one of your own poets has said, we're all his offspring. So he used their own literature against them. He even told Titus that, you know, the, the Cretans are liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, just like their own prophets said. <laughs> so he's using their own actions and literature against them. But to attack, this is where you're wrong, this is where you're wrong. Like I said, this wall comes up, and they take offense of it. So you've put a barrier up that you're never going to break down. But it doesn't hurt to know where they're coming from. And like I said, I studied a lot of, that I know about them is from studying from the outside looking in, just to know where they're coming from. So are there any other special consideration we should keep in mind when witnessing to Jehovah Witnessing? We should try to avoid per se, creating barriers by mentioning their beliefs that it might be false because it seems like it's going to be very difficult to witness to them if we can't say, hey, you know, Jesus Christ is God and you have it wrong. How do we navigate that? Well, you're not going to have a lot of time. What I do is I try to get them off of their schedule, off of their spiel. They come to you just like a salesman and they've got, you know, this whole thing verbatim memorized. This is what you're going to say. In other words, they're on the offense. You got to get them off offense. What I usually tell them to do, if I'm saved, been called in ministry, been saved for you know 40 years, I will give all that up and be at the Kingdom Hall Sunday. If you can prove what you believe from your Bible, of course they love that. And so what they're going to do, they're going to attack areas that most believers can't defend their faith. The Trinity, for example. Holidays. I know of a lot of believers, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to the door, they don't even answer the door, or they'll hide. And, you know, so what I'll do is, that's one of the first things they'll bring up, the Trinity. And if you know a little bit about their literature and their teachings, They'll ask you, well, do you believe in the Trinity because it's not in the Bible? I'll say, yes, I believe in the Trinity more than the Jehovah's Witnesses do. Of course, they deny believing in the Trinity. Uh, So let's go with what we agree on. According to Isaiah chapter 9, verse, it says that, you know, a son is given. He is the mighty God. They say, right, he is the mighty God, not almighty God, the mighty God. I say, okay, we'll agree that your literature says he's the mighty God. Then they'll take you, then take them to John chapter 1, verse 1. You know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Their Bible says a God. I said, okay, so we can agree that Jesus Christ is a God. According to your literature, he is a God. So he's mighty God and a God. Yes. Okay, you also believe that he's Michael the Archangel. Yes, and that's the one they really struggle with. That really embarrasses them. I said, so you believe that he, one person is mighty God, a God, and Michael the Archangel? No, yeah, no, yeah. So, you know, if you know a little bit about where they're coming from, and the Trinity is something they're really big on, and, you know, the believer... They can't defend what they believe, but I make them defend what they believe. And 
thing that gets you may have, whenever you deal with a fault, tell them what they believe, and they get angry with you. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm just telling you what you believe. So my policy is no attack, no retreat, stand. And then you could use something like John chapter 19. No, no. Where Thomas said, you know, lest I see the print of nails in his hand. Their Bible says that, lest I see the print of the nails in his hand. But they don't believe that Jesus Christ was hung on the cross. They believe it was one nail through both hands on a stake. But Doubting Thomas said, lest I see the print of the nails in his hands. So, I mean, you can say that's a minor thing, but if they're wrong on that, then what you're trying to prove is, you know, that they could be wrong on other things. And probably about then they're going to be ready to leave. They're not going to hang around long. If you can defend yourself, they're not going to hang around long. But I try to hang them for a while because I figured it's that much less time they have to go down the street and make someone the twofold child of hell that they already are. And what I do is I end with this. I just tell them, you know, I'll pray for you. Just think, if you're right, I have nothing to worry about. But if the Bible is right, you'll be wrong for all eternity. And tell them that you love them, and you'll be praying for them, because that is something that they rarely get. And, I mean, I could go on and on about their teachings, but you're not going to get that far, because once they realize, and the training way, if you're not open to the teaching, they'll write you off. They'll tell you they've got another meeting to go to or something, or they'll be back, but they're not coming back. Yeah, as I mentioned in episode 60 when we were talking, I, as a teenager, I had a Jehovah Witness who was coming to my home, I would say for probably four Saturdays straight before I started doing some classes on Saturdays and I wasn't home anymore. And I know they came several times after that because my sister in particular told me that they came looking for me. Wow. And the direction I took with them, the conversation was more of what you advise them not to do. I was going towards attacking what they believe and all that stuff. Uh, we were arguing hell, whether people go to hell and they'd be burned in there forever. We were arguing whether Jesus was God. We were arguing about the Trinity and stuff like that. And we were going back and forth. And the last time I had a conversation with him was that instead of me opening my Bible and reading the verses that I have for him, I asked him to read the verse in his Bible. Right. And then I'll read it in mine. I use that to show, hey, here we have different authority. And I think that was probably the best conversation I had with him in terms of showing him the error of his fate. Right, right. And see, I think that's what Paul did. He would use their own literature against them. I mean, it's in writing. And like I said, I've had folks, they get angry with that. I'm just telling you what your literature says. A few years ago, the BBC did a, a documentary called The Purple Triangle. The Purple Triangle is what the Jehovah's Witnesses had to wear during World War II. The Jews had to wear the yellow star. And they pushed that. They really were impressed that, you know, not the Jehovah's Witnesses produced it. The BBC produced it. And a lot of things that were in that documentary that they were so proud of didn't equate to what they believed. In other words, there were people in there that knew they were going to live on Paradise Earth. So I had to ask them, do you know you're going to live on Paradise Earth? No, you can't know that. 
And then there was other things, you know, one reason they were persecuted is because the Jehovah's Witnesses were preaching that the Jews would return to their homeland. Well, I know that Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jehovah God is not dealing with anyone else but Jehovah's Witnesses. And I told them, well, do you believe that? Nope, never have believed it, never will believe it. Yeah, but your literature says you believed it, and that's why you were persecuted. No, you're looking at it wrong. <laughs> so, you know, it's their own literature. And like you said, there are certain things that really I try to avoid. Luke chapter 16, the rich man in hell, because this wall comes up. They believe that that's a parable. And a parable is a fictional story, according to their definition. Now, you can look up the word parable, and I've never found it, the definition to say it was a fictional story. But my question is that if it comes up, okay, it's a parable. So what? But what I usually do is I'll use the warnings from Mark chapter 9 about, you know, if your eye offends thee, pluck it out. It's better than going to hell, you know, like that. Really, the warnings of hell. And if you know their literature, I'll take them to, if I get the opportunity, I'll take them to Acts chapter 16 where the Philippian jailer came in and asked, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas answer, if they can't answer, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If they can't give the answers, but the Bible answers, then, you know, there's no reason to go any further. And even when Philip dealt with the Ethiopian eunuch, he asked, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That verse isn't even in their New World Translation. It's just a blank spot. And so, like you said, really getting them to read their own literature, hopefully reading it for the first time in a different setting, it has a powerful impact. They might not let you know it because they're so conditioned that, you know, even if they're in trouble with the Jehovah's Witnesses, even if they're disfellowshipped or shunned, they still won't turn against the Jehovah's Witnesses because it's so ingrained in them that they're the only truth. And if you're out of the truth, you have nowhere to turn to. Are there any more pitfalls we need to be careful of to avoid when witnessing to them? Well, don't get into a verbal debate. You know, this, yes, you do. No, I don't. Y'all believe this. No, we don't. You know, it's easy to get angry, but, you know, just avoid, like I said, avoid the praise, the persecution, and don't be reactionary, I guess, is when they say something and, oh, no, it doesn't say that. You know, just when they see that reaction, they take it as a personal assault on them and an insult. And that's a barrier that it's hard to get past. Pastor, now that we've talked a little bit about what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe and how their beliefs are so contradictory to Scripture and how it sounds like the practicing, believing Jehovah's Witness is just saddled with all manner of burden and sin and rules and hindrances, barriers, we should say, towards salvation. Could you go into the gospel and tell us and the audience listening, do you think that a believing, practicing Jehovah's Witness is biblically saved? Why or why not in light of the gospel? Well, I don't believe they're saved. They're very sincere and they're very zealous, but they're sincerely wrong. And, you know, they don't believe in the bodily resurrection Jesus Christ, how can you be saved? If they don't believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, how can you be saved? 
Now, when I got saved, I didn't know anything about the Trinity. I probably didn't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. And, you know, I even studied it out about the Trinity. They believe that you're saved by grace through faith, plus being a member of Jehovah's organization. And see, it all means a different, but the words have different meanings. And their meanings, they have different words for them. And once again, it's any religion that is works salvation, there's no way a person can be saved in that. It's grace attacking the law. And we know that the law was fulfilled, and we now live under grace. And they're really the works. When Paul told us to work out our own salvation, he didn't mean to work for our salvation. And that's what they go on. And they'll tell you that they're not saved. Because you can't know. The only hope they have is that they will survive Armageddon and be in Jehovah's grace. After Armageddon, the earth will return to paradise. And the only hope you have is you might have a chance to survive Armageddon. Because, you know, either endure to the end shall be saved. So they put all their hope in that. They don't put their hope in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. You know, how can you be saved? If you can't get that. So, Pastor, let me give you the floor and imagine that a Jehovah Witness happened in the privacy of their home to listen to this podcast and they would like to know how to be saved. How would you walk them through that? Well, my first advice would be to them is to study the scripture, study the Bible, study what the Bible says, even study your own scripture. And I would give them some scripture. I would even give them, you know, how Bill dealt with Ethiopian and how that verse, their Bible. But to look to Jesus, author and finisher of our faith. We've all got faith. My question would be then, what or who is the object of your faith? And they will tell you, you know, Jehovah's organization. They would tell you their works, their hope so, maybe. No, no, the author and finisher of our faith is Jesus Christ. He's the beginning and the end. Revelation, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And you can take them to John chapter 14. You know, no man cometh to the Father but by me. There's a verse that just came to my mind, and this is a verse that they like to use, but they only use part of it. John chapter 17, verse 3 says, And this is life eternal. And that's what they talk about, eternal life, everlasting life on paradise earth. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. And that's where they stop. But the rest of the verse says, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's the verse I would probably take them to, because that is a core belief there. The way to know the only true God. But they don't go and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And hopefully you get a dialogue from that. Probably if you can get them to yourself, to themselves, by themselves, your opportunities are better. Because when they come to your door, the one who's doing a lot of talking is probably the one who's under the gun, who's being trained, and the person over him is looking at him and seeing how he does and handles himself. And that's probably the person you would really want to deal with. And how you ever get them by himself again is going to be difficult because they're going to be ordered not to go back, not to talk to you. Now, what I do a lot of times is I'll tell them, well, I've got some questions, and they'll promise to come back. I'll say, well, that's great. Give me a call and answer these questions that I have. 
And what I'll do is I say, here's my phone number, and I'll write it down on a gospel tract because they can't take those things. But if you write the number down, tell them to call me. <laughs> They'll take that a lot quicker. You know, that may be sneaky or whatever, but, you know, like I said, I try to get the gospel in their hands as any unsaved person and just pray that God will put the gospel in their heart. Amen. Pastor Gary, it's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Removing Barriers podcast. Thank you for having me, and I hope that will help some Jehovah's Witness along the way. Thank you for listening. To get a hold of us, to support this podcast, or to learn more about Removing Barriers, go to removingbarriers.net. This has been the Removing Barriers podcast. We attempted to remove barriers so that we all can have a clear view of the cross.